And I guess the reason that we can be unshaken as we face our world and the complexities and the sorrows of it is to know that there's someone who has gone ahead of us, namely our Lord Jesus Christ, and some who promises to be with us, namely our Lord Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. We are not alone. Hallelujah, huh? Hi, everybody. Great to be with you. Uh, Marie and I just returned from a wonderful 10 days in the Holy Land, Southern California. And, uh, uh, and, and I told Pastor Phil, one of our pastors, I said, Phil, I know it was a good vacation. When you don't want to come home, you know it's been a great vacation and uh, has been for us. One of the things I found myself thinking about there, and maybe it's because I was near where I was raised, is I found myself thinking about a story uh, concerning my own family and my own sister. Uh, she's 13 years younger than I am. When I was about 20, therefore she was about seven, we lived on a cul-de-sac and I could look out our front window and I could see her playing with all the kids in the little cul-de-sac and they were playing kickball or they were about to. And I remember that they had a lineup and all the kids were in a line and the two undoubtedly best players were choosing their teams. And I go, uh-oh. Because uh, my sister wasn't a good athlete. And I watched as one by one everyone was chosen and she was the one that was left. I don't know if you've ever experienced being the one not chosen. But I saw it happening. There was nothing I could do about it. And everything in me wanted to rise up and say, she too is a chosen one. I couldn't fix it. But I'm really grateful. She's doing well in her life. And she now runs marathons, probably to make up for not being picked at kickball. Uh, <laughs> The point being, there's something inside us that cries out that every person matters and everyone ought to be able to be chosen. And so I start with that today because that's where we're going to start this summer. I get to introduce you to a brand new study in the book of Jeremiah, as Brian told you about. And you're going to find that through his choosing, you begin to see how you too have been chosen. You're not the last in line. So open your Bibles with me, if you will, to the book of Jeremiah in the Old Testament. If you don't have a Bible with you or one to turn on, we invite you to use the ones on the back of the chairs. And you'll uh, turn to about page 746, Jeremiah chapter 1. And we're going to take off in this thing. Now, first of all, let me place Jeremiah in some historical context. And I, uh, some of you are going to want to write this down. Anyone without a photographic memory is going to want to write this down because you'll, you'll think of it all summer. Brief overview of the Old Testament. So if we think of Abraham, approximately year, the year 2000 B.C. Now, I realize there are two schools that suggest that's the old dating and there was a, maybe it was closer to 1500. Don't worry about that right now. Just see that up there. Sometime around 2000 B.C. is when God's people are chosen. Then at about 1500 B.C. is when Moses comes 
And Moses leads the chosen people out of Egypt into the promised land. He rescues them. So God chooses and God rescues. Then at about the year 1000 is when King David comes and forms the kingdom and the new world order where the people of God have such a place. Incidentally, in many ways, the church of Jesus Christ today is to be representative of God's kingdom on earth. That, that's how we press forward God's hopes, desires, longings, and commands. Now, Jeremiah shows up at about 600 B.C., right in that range. So uh, think of that, that 400 years from David, a long time from Abraham, but at this time, the whole world is coming apart. I'm sharing this because I kind of feel like our whole world's coming apart. Uh, this is a presidential election I don't look forward to. I have no horse in this race. I wish I did. Uh, I think of ISIS. I think of nations on the rise. I think of the changing economic order. I think of all of the instability that is everywhere. And I think once upon a time, there was a Jeremiah, and Jeremiah faced that same kind of world. Israel is no longer one nation. It's been divided in two. There's a geopolitical drama. Think of Judah, which is where Jeremiah lives. Think of it like the United States, his home country. Then there is Assyria. Think of Assyria like the United Kingdom, once the world power starting to slide out of its dominance. Think of Egypt as Russia, rising from the south, ready to take over anything that it possibly can. And then think of the nation of Babylon, which is coming, like China. And you've got this massive confliction of major world powers. And you think, well, good, because we're just going to worry about our own lives and the church. No, we're not afforded that opportunity. Jeremiah will become a prophet to the nations of the world. God is engaging worldwide in, in this time. How will he stand? So the book of Jeremiah is about a guy, <laughs> a regular guy. And in fact, he's a very emotional guy. You're going to fall in love with Jeremiah. There's times he says, God, I want out of this. I want nothing to do with this. And there'll be other times, God, you're the greatest thing going. There'll be other times, God, I can do this, and there'll be other times, I can't do this, I can't do this, I can't do this. You're going to like Jeremiah. It's about God's relationship with him, but then it's also about God's relationship and authority over all of humanity. That's all going to happen in this book. Pretty exciting, huh? Okay, let's keep going. Um, now, let me give you a little bit about the structure of the book. It's biography, I'm sorry, history, it's biography, and it's prophecy. The majority of the book is prophecy. And that's a form of literature where Jeremiah will hear from God and he will declare what God is telling him to the world. Now, a prophet is someone who does two things. A prophet is a forth teller and a foreteller. Forth teller means they talk about the way things are. The gift of prophecy is one who can read what's going on right now and say, this is what's going on in your life. This is what's going on in our world. This is, and then it says, and here's what God's going to do. Forthtelling and foretelling. So history, biography, prophecy. 
What makes it doubly complex, the book of Jeremiah, is it's not chronological. Everything in you will want it to be. And it won't do that for you. Okay? I really urge you to read it this summer. 52 chapters. So read a chapter a day. And just take these couple of months to just let it soak in. But don't make yourself try to put it together because sometimes you're dealing with history, sometimes you're dealing with biography, and sometimes you're dealing with prophecy. In fact, here's the best way to order the book. First, chapters 1 through 25 are prophecies of Jeremiah to Judah, to the home country, to the, the quote, USA, if you will, in our world. The second big division is the biography of Jeremiah within his home country. And it's a fascinating story. And while we get uh, uh, little bits of it throughout the book, it's especially majored in 25 through 45, 26 through 45. Then in 46 through 51, just when the world thinks it's safe, he starts prophesying against the whole world. He's going to take on Babylon. He's going to take on Egypt. He's going to take on every country and declare what God is saying to the world. And finally, the 52nd chapter is where he sums it all up. So, a regular guy who didn't wake up that morning thinking he was going to get the assignment he's about to get, who then is used by God to speak to the nations. That's Jeremiah. Okay? All right, now, let's, let's go. The first four verses... You see there the words of Jeremiah, son of Hilkiah, one of the priests of Anatote. He comes from a family of, of Jewish priests. In Benjamin, the word of the Lord came to him in the 13th year of the reign of Soziah, son of Ammon, king of Judah. The year is 627 B.C. This is when he starts getting prophecies. I think he was born around 640. So I think he's 13 to 15 years old. Okay, when this starts happening to him. And then it says, it goes on, and right through the end of verse 4, where it says, um, when the people of Jerusalem went into exile, we know that that's 587. So from 627 to 587, and how, how much is that? 40 years. 40 years of prophecy that come out of this guy, of living life. You're going you're gonna to go through 40 years of life with this guy this summer. And it's going to be exciting, exhilarating, frustrating, weeping. It's, it's, it's going to be a ride. Now, let's start in verse 4. The word of the Lord came to me. So it starts with Jeremiah giving an autobiographical insight. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Four and five are absolutely loaded. So Jeremiah said, you know, I'm 13 years old, and the word of the Lord came to me, and this is what he said. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Stop right there. Before you were even formed, I knew you. Friends, this goes against all of our teachings on, on evolutionary uh, development this suggests look at the text Jeremiah had personhood even before conception 
And if Jeremiah had personhood before conception, so do we. Before conception, I knew you. Wow. There's a verse in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4 which adds weight to this whole idea. And it says, he chose us in him, look at this, before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before he was conceived in the womb, God knew him. Before the creation of the world, we were known. Don't even try to understand time-space continuum. Simply understand that the God who exists in all things at all time, and there is no time to him, the ever-present now, knew you, knows you. Incidentally, that's why we as a church and most church, Christian churches in the world argue and, and try to tell people, please understand that, that, that a baby is a baby from before a baby is a baby. That's a real person all the time. That's why we fight so hard to believe that life begins actually before conception. It carries right through. Now knowing that some of you have made horrendous choices in that remember the table and the forgiveness of Christ that's available but for all the rest of us please know no mistakes God knows those who are being born God knew you now the next thing I want to say on that is that word knew in verse 5 before I formed you in the womb I knew you it's a very, very strong word in the ancient language, and it has to do with relationship. It's not just that I knew, I know there's an Obama. It's, it's that I would know Obama, that there would be relationship. Before you were in the womb, I knew you. Before you were in the womb, I loved you. It's about intimacy. That same word is used about Moses many books earlier in the Old Testament and it says that that God says Moses is someone that I can be I know face to face like a friend and so here's our introduction to being reminded of how incredibly important we are to God we're not just made we were made because of love and we were made for intimacy of the creator God this is why our church is constantly saying to everybody do you know God because he knows you do you love God because he loves you and the whole story of Jesus Christ is to that the whole world might know that the God who created you before the foundation of the world and loves you wants you to know him receive his love and love him back Before you were in the womb, I knew you. I like that. I like that. Second thing that happens there, look at the end of verse 5. Before you were born, I set you apart, and I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. He wasn't created just only for relationship with God. He was also created for a purpose on the earth. I appointed you as a prophet 
to the nations. When, when you were created by the Lord God, it was to have a love relationship with God and to fulfill God's purpose in your life. Again, this is so helpful in a world that wants to argue for no meaning. We have great meaning. He's appointed a prophet to the nations. Now, you should be glad you're not appointed a prophet to the nations. I mean, because as we study Jeremiah's life, you're going to realize, hey, this guy's a Churchill. Uh, this guy is a Washington. This guy's a Lincoln. This guy is a Madame Curie. This guy is a Mother Teresa. This is someone that's going to influence broadly and greatly. This is somebody's name who will be in the newspaper every day. And we're not. We're, we're not that at all. We're normal. We're the 99.999% that never get our name in the newspaper and are, at the end of the day are pretty glad we don't right but it doesn't mean that we weren't created in love for a purpose in fact look at this verse Ephesians 2 10 I marvel at it for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do we are his handiwork, craftsmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do something really good, which God actually set up for us from time eternal. It, this isn't just about Jeremiah. God is using this whole thing with Jeremiah to talk about how everybody is made with these things and for a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a purpose. You have a great purpose. This week I was with a person of great purpose whose name will never be in a newspaper. And it's my mother-in-law. She's absolutely marvelous. Her name's Eleanor. And she may watch this sermon, so I must be careful from this point on. <laughs> but Marie and I got to hang out with her mom and uh, one early evening, she just started talking about her life. And we found out that when she was in high school, she didn't know what she was going to do. And she was trying to get uh, locations to go to college, but her parents weren't sure she should go to college. Uh, and, and, then, and then she got right out of the blue a scholarship to go to a nursing school. And she never intended to be a nurse, but it was a free scholarship. So she ends up going and she becomes a nurse. And then she becomes a good nurse. And one day there's a young man who's causing trouble on the wing of the hospital because uh, uh, he won't receive an enema. And, and she has to do it. And that ends up being Marie's dad later. And, 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 and then the story weaves that she wasn't going to be a nurse. She didn't know who she was going to marry. But now she's married to Bill. And he's, he's going to become a neurosurgeon. And she's going to be a nurse. And then they have these four wonderful kids, of which I'm quite biased to the youngest daughter. Uh, and, 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 and then all these great-grandkids and now even a, a great-grandchild and her nursing took her first into, into clinical care for people and then later she went back and studied more because she really wanted to help people struggling with soul issues and recovery issues and she's made a great dent in the world. She, she's, she's fulfilling her purpose. And, and as I reflected on it, I go, wow. Multiply that seven billion times over. You and me. We're created 
for a love-knowing relationship with God. We're created with a purpose. And then we're empowered to do it because look, if you will, with me at verse 6. How will Jeremiah respond to this whole thing? See that word alas? Here's what alas means. Ugh. Sovereign Lord, I said. His voice hadn't even changed yet. Let's try it this way. I don't know how to speak. <laughs> I'm too young. I know, that's more like Mickey Mouse. <laughs> but there it is. It's, it's this young person go, what are you talking about, God? I, I, I don't know how to speak. I'm so young. I'm so inadequate. Hey, and if you feel inadequate to live in this world, it's because you are. We all are. He, he, he didn't feel that he knew how to speak. Moses had the same problem. Isaiah had the same problem. Isaiah's problem was he didn't know, he didn't know how to speak. He didn't know how to say the right things. And so God will say, I've got to purify your mouth, dude. Okay? But whether it's speaking... Or, or whatever you're in, incidentally, only people don't like to be a public speaker. Did you know that? It's still number one on the top ten list of things that are frightening. Yeah, somebody ran this for me this week. In the top ten, fear of heights, fear of bugs, fear of deep water, fear of death. Fear of death came in number nine on the top ten list, number nine. Uh, number one was the fear of speaking publicly. It, really? I don't know where you, you all have problems with this public speaking thing. <laughs> it, you know what Jerry Seinfeld says about this? The fact that death is number nine and, and speaking publicly is number one. It, it, imagine Seinfeld. Seinfeld says, it makes no sense. Remember how he always goes, it makes no sense. This means you'd rather be in the coffin than give the eulogy. I realize people are scared of speaking. We're scared of so many things and we have reason to be scared and we're scared of ourselves because within us is the propensity to do bad more than we, we do good. We have more experience in sin than we do in goodness and if you're pleased with yourself, you have low standards. So take his age, take life, take the complexities of the world, take all that you face and all that Jeremiah faced no matter, he says, not me. And then God says to him, Verse 7, don't you say I am too young. You must go everywhere I send you, and you will say whatever I commanded you. Do not be afraid of them. I am with you. I will rescue you. Verse 9, then the Lord reached out his hand, and he touched Jeremiah's mouth, and he said to me, I have put my words in your mouth and today I appoint you a prophet to nations and kingdoms what do we draw from that of course we're inadequate but God has promised that when we're in relationship with him that he will be our sufficiency 
in everything we face. As kids trying to grow up, as being a parent, as, as raising a family, of being a spouse, of enduring a, a life apart from a spouse, enduring life with a spouse, uh, 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 your work, your neighborhood, your world, the complexities of international, global, economic. It's, God has said, don't you worry about a thing. I got this. And he is in us. So, he calls Jeremiah, one. He tells him that he's precious to him from before time. Secondly, he's got a great purpose. And third, of course he's not adequate, but God is, and God will lead him all the way. That's how we get the in introduction into Jeremiah. Now, now, what was he called to? What was he called to? And that takes us to the next set of verses. Look with me now to verse 10. A very scary verse. I have put my words in your mouth. See today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms. Look at this. You might want to write these verbs down. To uproot and tear down. To destroy and to overthrow. And to build and to plant. This is the mission statement of the Lord God Almighty for Jeremiah. Okay, now, uh, ours isn't quite as good, but I'm wondering if you know the uh, mission statement of our church. Wheaton Bible Church exists to love God, grow together, and reach the world. Jeremiah, what's your mission statement? My mission statement is to um, uproot, tear down, destroy, and overthrow. See why you don't want his job? He's going to suffer like no, everywhere he goes. In fact, he will, there's some Hebrew terms, and when we get to this passage, either Rob and I or I will tell you about it, there's a, there's a passage where they start giving him a nickname, and the nickname translated into the English is, here comes old terror on every side. Because that'll be his message. Okay? He is to go to the world, and he is going to tell Judah, and he is going to tell every nation how awful they are, and God's not going to stand for it anymore. It's frightening to uproot, to tear down, to, to destroy, to overthrow. That will be his message. He's not going to do it, but God's about to. And all hell is about to break loose on the civilized known world at that time. Through those nations, what's going to take place? Take a look at this. Jeremiah chapter 25. This is an example of one of his prophecies that he will bring to his own nation. Therefore, the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north and my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all the surrounding nations. I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. I will banish from them this is, this is really something. I will banish from them the sounds of joy and gladness, the voices of the bride and the bridegroom, the sound of millstones, the light of the lamp, 
The whole country will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon for 70 years. That's what he speaks to his own nation, Judah. Look what he speaks to the rest of the nations. Next. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. And this is interesting. I, I don't know for sure if this actually was, that he did this visually or not. Take from my hand this cup filled with the wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send it drink it. And when they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So, Jeremiah says, I took the cup from the Lord's hand and I made all the nations of the world to whom he sent me drink it. Jerusalem and the towns of Judah, its kings and all its officials. And then it goes through all these others, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the Philistines, Ashkelon, Gaza, Ekron, Ashdod, Edom, Moment, Ammon, Tyre, Sidon, the kings of the coastland, the kings across the seas. And there's a whole bunch more of them there. Uh, media, that's, that's like the Persians uh, are going to get this whole thing too. And, and then after all of them, Shishak will drink it too. See, I am beginning, right at the end everybody, I am beginning to bring disaster on the city that bears my name and will you indeed go unpunished you will not go unpunished I am calling down a sword on all who live on the earth declares the Lord Almighty man the devastation the tragedy the horror of human evil is so great that there are times in human history where God says, I will stop it. And he brings judgment and wrath, the cup of his wrath. Wow. This, this is what Jeremiah's got to say to the world. And it's going to take place. There's going to be almost like massive earthquakes. That's what's going to happen geopolitically in the 40 years that Jeremiah is prophesying. Look with me at verse 11 in our text. The word of the Lord came to me. What do you see, Jeremiah? I see the branch of an almond tree, I replied. And the Lord said to me, you have seen correctly. I am watching to see that my word will be fulfilled. Now, I just read you what that word was, right? When he says, what do you see, an almond? Okay, the, the, the word in, in the ancient language for almond and the word for watching is a difference of one letter. Shokad versus shokad, one letter. And so God's actually using a turn of words here. The almond will tell you I am watching. And I am watching and everything I've declared will come true. So evidently, God does not like sin. Evidently, the world needs to understand that the choice of evil over good results in the judgment of God. We not only hurt each other by our wrong choices, it angers the God who made his world to be a beautiful place. And judgment is coming. Look at the next one, 13 through 16. The word of the Lord came to me again. What do you see, Jeremiah? And he said, I see a pot 
and it's boiling, and I answered, and it's tilting toward us from the north. And the Lord said to me, from the north, disaster will be poured out on you and all who live in the land. It's what I just read to you from the 25th chapter. I'm about to summon all the peoples of the north. The kings will come and set up their thrones in the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem. They'll come against all her surrounding walls and against all the towns of Judah. When he was 13, he knew that in the next decade, his whole nation was going to be destroyed. Why? Verse 16. I will pronounce my judgments on my people because of their wickedness in forsaking me. Have you ever thought of wickedness as defined as forsaking God? But it is. To disregard or say no to the love of the God who created you before the foundation of the world is the essence of wickedness. And God created us to love him, and through that love, life would be lived the way it was always intended to be lived. So I know this is pretty harsh. You say, well, what do we do about it? What is he going to do about it? Well, I just want to say this before I go to what he'll do about it. I want to say what we do about it. I am so glad for that cross. Because that cross doesn't stop all the judgment that comes on the earth. But for those who know and love Jesus Christ and receive the forgiveness of his sins, their sins are forgiven and they're in relationship with God and God promises to guide us through the sorrows of the judgment of this world. I'm so glad of that. Jeremiah didn't have that going for him. Here's what he did have. Look at Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 7. I love this passage. Work for the peace and the prosperity of the city where I send you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Work for the peace and the prosperity of where I have called you. Friends, I don't know what your life purpose is. I don't know how it fits in family and, and work. But... But Jeremiah says, work for what is good and right through your calling. And secondly, pray like crazy. <laughs> pray for peace in the world. Pray for Jerusalem. Pray for Moscow. Pray for Washington. Pray for whoever our next president is. Pray, 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 pray. Work, 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 work. And declare, declare, declare Jesus Christ. For only in him can the devastation of judgment be slowed. Well, finally, he says to Jeremiah in verses 17 through 19, okay, get ready. Stand up. Say to them whatever I command you. Don't be terrified of them or I will terrify you before them. Verse 18, today I have made you, Jeremiah, a fortified city, an iron pillar, a bronze wall to stand against the whole land. Verse 19, they will fight against you, but they won't overcome you. I am with you and will rescue you, 
saith the Lord. So, family here at Wheaton Bible Church, let me just say this. Life is guaranteed to be hard. But stand up. God is making you a bronze wall, an iron pillar, a fortified city. Why? He says, I will be with you. You are not alone. I close with this slide. What do we receive from Jeremiah chapter 1? You matter. You have purpose. You are empowered. You are sent. And best of all, we are not alone. Let's pray. With gladness of my heart, Lord, I'm just so glad that you are with us. I am so glad that you have forgiven us of our sins. And I'm so glad, Lord, that you have given us a purpose in our lives to make the world better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. I'd like to invite